You are listening to KC Sports Network, proudly presented by Emprise Bank. Coming up, the latest episode of Three Mall. Welcome into another Three Mall Pod. I am your host today, Cole Manbeck, no John Kurtz, uh, but joined as always by Derek Young as we recap Kansas State's dominating 41 to nothing victory over the Houston Cougars as K State advances to 4 and 1 in Big 12 play and 6 and 2 overall. As a reminder, as always, get stocked up with your holiday distillery products who support us. 360 Vodka, outstanding stuff. Ben Holiday Bottled in Bond Bourbon is a personal favorite of mine. Get stocked up for what should be a really exciting weekend heading into Monday as well. We got K-State basketball season tipping off on Monday uh, against top 25 ranked USC in a huge matchup that will be televised on TNT. We've got Patrick Gongba commitment coming this weekend on November 4th. We'll see if he chooses Kansas State coming off his official visit this weekend. It is between Duke, K-State, and Kentucky. And uh, we've got, obviously, a huge matchup in Austin as K-State 4-1 and going up against Texas 4-1 and in league play in a game that could put the winner um, at the forefront of the Big 12 title race to get back to Arlington for Kansas State. So, huge game Saturday, big noon game on Fox. Uh, get stocked up with your uh, Ben Holiday bottled in Bond Bourbon or 360 Vodka I did mention. No John today uh, did want to pass along our thoughts and condolences to the uh, the Kurtz family, Quentin, uh, John's father, um, as well as they, uh, John's grandfather, uh, Vernon Ray Kurtz, uh, passed away about a week ago and is being laid to rest today. So our condolences to uh, the Kurtz family as they're going through a difficult time there. Um, Vernon Ray Kurtz was a, a teacher at K-State for more than 30 years and a Manhattan resident. Um, so we, uh, we think we're thinking of John, Quentin, and uh, the entire Kurtz family right now. D.Y., uh, Another dominant victory for Kansas State. And I, I think John had mentioned after the TCU game, we need to show more love to the uh, the K-State defense on the next pod, and they're giving us a perfect time to do that. They, they shut out another opponent. So to me, that's the storyline. Um, wh- what did you make of that defensive effort of what we saw on Saturday? It felt like a lot like, like the TCU one, which nothing to take away from them. It's a really good defense, but like there's just... Th- not a whole lot of splash or, or flair to it. They just stop you. That, that's what they do. They, I mean, they, they did force two turnovers, but they're not forcing a lot of turnovers. They're not making a lot of, like, you know, crazy plays to where they're going to catch the eye of the average fan or the audience and say, man, this is a dominant defense, but you'll look up two or three hours later and be like, eh, this team still has a lot of touchdown. And they have it in the last nine quarters. And, in fact, not only that, um, in the nine last nine quarters, zero touchdowns, but also just three points total. And also, interestingly enough, maybe a little bit of a home and away thing here as well. Kansas State's defense is not allowed a touchdown at home since September 23rd. So they will not allow a touchdown in Bill Snyder Family Stadium for the entire month of October. And it's going to be going on uh, you know, close to two months by the time Kansas State does return to Manhattan after the Texas game. So that that's a pretty impressive statistic as well but like it's different because they're just getting it done in a very ho-hum fashion not a you know that they affect the quarterback maybe don't don't get to him 
a whole lot. Again, I think what one sack on the day. So, and I think it was named Matlack. So you're getting a worthy and, you know, stellar contribution probably from upwards of 15 to 18 guys, but nothing's just flashy. They just take care of their business, very lunch pail type defense. It's very business-like. I mean, you mentioned it. Yeah, there's nothing flashy about what they're doing. They just find ways to get off the field. And over the last two games, so Houston goes 3 of 14 on third downs. TCU the week before goes 2 of 13 on third downs. I mean, the last two opponents are 5 of 27 on third downs. And at the same time, I think Kansas State's combined 20 of 27. Yeah, I think, yeah, that, 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 that's right, actually, because at halftime of the Houston game over their last six quarters, they were 17 to 20 on third down conversions at 85%. And here's a, a key number, D.Y. K-State's defense now is number six in the country in third down defense, holding teams to 29%. They're behind Utah, Georgia, Texas, Penn State, and Oklahoma. K-State's offense, fourth in the country in third down offense, converting 55% behind LSU, Michigan and Georgia so been highly highly successful elite really at both third down offense and third down defense and another interesting number is now K-State opponents have attempted 22 fourth down attempts which is the third highest in the country because the K-State defense and the offense keeps putting teams so far behind over the last few weeks that teams have to go for it on fourth downs you know I I I I Actually, I don't know why this is, and I think it's the same way in the NFL, so it's not even an NFL college difference. But when you turn a team over on downs, I think that should be considered a turnover. Like, it's literally just the same. You're getting the ball at that spot. It, I think it should be considered a turnover. And in fact, in many cases, turning them over on downs, turning your opponent over on downs is better than getting an interception or a fumble because you're going to get better yardage out of it because you get the ball at that spot rather than, you know, whether it be, you know, a long throw downfield that you intercept. So I think that should be considered a turnover. So we're, maybe we're bellyaching a little bit. This team doesn't, it's not like this team is forcing three, four turnovers a game, which is, you know, at times the last couple of years, it felt like that. But when you add in that, that you're turning, they turn Houston over on downs four times. You add in the fact, then it's like you force six turnovers, really. Yeah. Last 25 drives for that K-State defense dating back to the second half of the Texas Tech game. So we're talking 10 quarters, nearly 10 quarters of football. They've allowed three points over 25 drives, forced 10 punts, six turnovers on downs. You mentioned it. Five interceptions, one fumble recovery, and then two drives at the end of the game where time expired and then a field goal uh, was converted as well by TCU. Those are the only three points over the last 25 drives. That comes out to... uh, 0.12 0.12 points per drive allowed over a nearly 10-quarter stretch. And uh, K-State's defense now, D.Y., allowing 1.62 points per drive on the season. And this is a credit to uh, KSU underscore fan on Twitter, Jimmy, as uh, many of you probably follow him. He's got some great numbers out there uh, regarding Kansas State and the points per drive and all those advanced metrics. But they're now number three in the Big 12 overall on the season in points per drive allowed, just behind Iowa State for number two in the league at 1.60 is Iowa State. K-State's 1.62. K-State's offense leads the Big 12 at 3.46 points per drive offensively. That's not, that's not very close anymore. Yeah. No, no. So and, and they lead the Big 12 in touchdown rate at 46% offensively scoring touchdowns, in other words, on 46% of her drives. That's a credit to KSU underscore fan. And defensively, they're allowing a touchdown rate at 16%, which is just behind Texas for number two 
in the Big 12. So and in red zone, it's even better. The touchdown rate allowed. It's number two in the country, only behind Michigan. Um, touchdown rate in the red zone. And I think going into the Houston game, it was 30%. Obviously, that didn't change because they didn't have to worry about that against Houston. Houston didn't get in the red zone one time. Um, second behind Michigan in that stat, though, uh, Michigan, 20% better than everybody else. Yep. Maybe stealing some signs in the red zone as well. So uh, knowing what's coming. The uh, the 1.62 points per drive, D.Y., is the best of the Chris Kleiman era. So if the season ended today, the best that a Chris Kleiman coach team at K-State had was 1.91 points per drive. That was in 2021. Here's where it's a little bit more staggering. If the season ended today, and keep in mind, they got to face two top 15 offenses in Kansas and Texas still. Texas is number 10 in ESPN's SP Plus rankings offensively. KU is number 13. So a couple of really tough tasks remain on the schedule. But if the season ended today, the 1.62 points per drive would be the highest since these were tracked by Brian Freemau dating back to 2007. So Brian Freemau's points per drive stats go all the way back to 2007. We're talking about 16, 17 years of data. The second best is 1.75 points per drive allowed by the K-State defense in 2012. So Joe Klanderman, Chris Kleiman, finding ways to uh, to get it done, defensive-minded. So, uh, and, and I think, D.Y., the, the thing to underscore here and really make note of is, yeah, Houston, not a great team. I think we all thought K-State would win this game handily and, and like the spot that K-State was in. You got but, to get Houston at the right time. Even Chris Kleiman admitted that, yep. But it's a good Houston offense. I mean, no, they were taught. They're good. Yeah, they're so. good. And to be honest, it's not. I don't think Houston's in the bottom two, though. They're they're like they're better than Baylor at this point. I would say they're they're better than uh, maybe UCF and Cincinnati, who can't get a win. Yeah. No. Yeah. Cincinnati is a is a UCF, disaster. UCF's pretty bad. I mean, they hung with Oklahoma, but they've been bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they are. I mean, it's oh, UCF still liked by the advanced metrics, so they are. Uh, it's still win, but yeah, it's only that Cincinnati is hung around a lot of games too, and still can't win as well. Yeah. You have to remember Cincinnati. I mean, if Cincinnati was like ten percent better in the red zone that day, that they would have had Oklahoma on the ropes, which probably goes back to the Sooners definitely being overrated. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, but it was a Houston offense that ESPN's SP Plus had as the number 22 team in the country offensively. Donovan Smith had thrown for nearly 2,000 yards. D.Y., they, they hold Houston to 95 yards passing on 33 attempts, 2.9 yards per pass. Dana Holgerson has coached 158 games in his coaching career dating back to 2011 at West Virginia. The 95 yards passing, from what I found, is the second fewest by a Dana Holgerson coach team behind only 2013 against Maryland. They threw for 62 yards. It's the second time Dana Holgerson's been shut out. Also, 37 nothing loss to Maryland that 2013 season. So they had a disastrous day that day, but only the second time they've been shut out of the Dana Holgerson coach team over 158 games. Um, the 2.9 yards per pass, also the second fewest. And the 3.5 yards per play that used to add against K-State is the second fewest in Dana Holgerson's 56 games as the head coach at Houston. Uh, behind only 3.4 yards per play against Texas Tech in 2021, and it, it ties for the third fewest yards per play in his coaching career over the span of 158 games. So just a uh, a dominant performance defensively. Maybe we talk about the secondary here in just a minute, but first we're going we're gonna to toss to a break, and we're going to tell you about our friends at Home Field Apparel. As always, DYI, I think you're probably rocking a uh, 
another home field sweatshirt uh, this week. Oh, UI's going with the retro K-State gear. He doesn't have the uh, the Ole Miss uh, retro gear or Ohio, but DUI is a perfect example that if you want something other than K-State as well, they've got everything you could want at home field apparel. Uh, DUI's rocked numerous different schools, including Arizona as well, and that cool cactus logo uh, this year. So he's got lots of awesome gear. Home field has over 100 colleges to choose from. But they got a lot of K-State stuff, and I think a lot of you, that's what mostly you'd be interested in. They've got 40 K-State items at homefieldapparel.com for you to choose from. You can score 15% off with the code EMAW23 on your first-time order. So go to homefieldapparel.com, check out their gear. I'm also rocking a, a very comfortable homefield hoodie. I can't tell you how comfortable this thing is. It's super soft and uh, feels great, especially now as we've got these uh, these winter temperatures that are approaching so super warm and uh, soft comfortable sleek retro logos if that's your style get stocked up for the rest of k-state football season and k-state hoop season score 15 percent off with code 3mob23 homefieldapparel.com thanks for listening to kc sports network make sure you download our new app find it on the app store or google play just search kc sports network we're driven by the search for better But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. So, D.Y., I want to talk just a, a little bit about the secondary as well because I talk, I mentioned they hold Houston to 95 yards passing, uh, which you don't see. You don't see many teams held that low. It's uh, it's also overall the seventh time since the start of the 2022 season that K-State has held an opponent to under 10 points. Five of those occurred against Big 12 teams. So defensively overall, uh, over the last 20 or so games, K-State's defense has been pretty darn solid. But the secondary, uh, they've been playing really good football. I mentioned it, five interceptions. Jacob Parrish um, fully back into the swing of things after he missed that Oklahoma State game. Will Lee 
has a great game against Houston. He has an interception. He forces a fumble as well. But what what do you make of, of K-State's secondary and, and some of the guys that are getting the job done there? A lot of new parts. It took a while to come together, but the, that their their growth, their improvement, their development over the last month is probably why this defense is playing as well as it is. I mean, and this the switch at state between excuse me VJ Payne and Kobe Savage. I so making that switch and and having those guys get a lot of reps together, get a lot of reps on the football field in general because. A lot of first-time starters at Kansas State. I think that was important. I said, you know, I think it was probably about a month ago when they were going through some, you know, struggles and some adversity that, you know, by the time that we get to the end of the season, it's probably going to be the most improved group. Didn't even take that long. So I I think this revelation from the Kansas State secondary is really likely the culprit of this uh, drastic switch in improvement. It's interesting because I think it was John that posed a question for you and me on a show several weeks ago. Who gets it together first, K-State secondary or the K-State offensive line? And it kind of feels like it all happened at once, right? I mean, the the K-State offensive line has been playing tremendous football, the running game, uh, and then uh, the defense, obviously, and the secondary playing great. And I mean, it's again, it's a Houston offense. Over the previous four games, they were completing 73% of their passes. That was sixth best in the country during that time, they had 13 touchdowns to one interception over that span, 1,319 yards over the last four games on 157 passes, 8.4 yards per pass, and uh, they were eighth in the country over that time and pass efficiency offense and led the Big 12 over the past four games. So they'd really been throwing the ball well. Donovan Smith, a talented quarterback, but again, 2.9 yards per pass against K-State, 45% completion percentage. They could not get anything through going through the air. Donovan Smith has an 11.3 quarterback rating, a 65.7 passer rating, both season worst for the quarterback. And now K-State's pass efficiency defense, D.Y., they are 13th in the country in pass efficiency defense against FBS opponents. That's number one in the Big 12. A 113.5 rating, uh, fifth in the country over the last three games in pass efficiency defense, and the 113.5 pass efficiency rating would be the best of the Chris Kleiman era at the season of the day. The second best was last year, a 126.7 in 2022, which ranked 45th in the country. Well, we went this long without talking about the K-State offense, D.Y., and I think a lot of us wondered what they would do at the quarterback position following the TCU game when both Avery Johnson and Will Howard alternated every series and and both played pretty well. This game, they, they start Will Howard again, and I don't think any of us were surprised by that, but uh, Will takes them right down. They score a touchdown. And this time, I think, and I think you had suggested this too on the last show. Like, if they go right down and score a touchdown, keep them on the field and, and see if they can do it again. And they did. And then they were up 14 to nothing uh, very quickly in this game as Will Howard led and commanded two touchdown drives. And then they brought Avery Johnson in on that third series. And unfortunately, on the second play, he's in uh, a fumbled exchange on a handoff. And, uh, that was all we saw Avery for quite a while in the game, and Will came back in. But what, what did you make of how they handled the quarterback situation in this one, and any surprises? Yeah, I've seen the chatter out there, and I, I actually probably subscribed to a little bit that maybe you don't you go back to them after the turnover because you don't want to make either one of your quarterbacks because they're because they're both watching, so you know fearful of a turnover and have that paranoia to, that they're playing with. That aside, and and I'm not going to 
pignets too much with that, but I, I do subscribe to that theory, or at least understand that line of thinking. With that being said, it felt like the Texas Tech game maybe a little bit more drastic, but in reverse. And I I think that's what you got to do for the most part. Like the TCU stuff, the TCU plan or approach or or how that worked out, I just don't think that's sustainable, nor do I think that it's likely to be repeated. I think most times, even if you want to give both quarterbacks a shot early in the game, I think most times you're going to have to see how they both do and then go from there, uh, pick the direction of where it's flowing, you know, who's who's got it going, who doesn't, what the game calls for, what it doesn't, and and make a decision based upon that. Look, two quarterback systems are really hard to navigate, really hard to maneuver, both from maybe a psychological standpoint when you're kind of playing with the mind a little bit of both quarterbacks that, you know, don't know what to expect, but also because it's it's easy to screw up, not just that from that standpoint, but from a r- rhythm standpoint. And I don't think, and they've done this for, what, three, four games now, I don't think they've made a a colossal mistake yet, and that's easy to do. I think, you know, the buckaboo about two quarterback systems all the time and usually rears its ugly face is that you really can harm the rhythm of your offense, and they've navigated it so that that hasn't been an issue. Now, hopefully they can sustain that, um, in terms of making the right choice at the right time um, for the remainder of the year. But um, that's hard to do, and that's what they're succeeding at right now. Will Howard goes 15-17 to 17 through the air, 9.6 yards per pass, 164 yards overall, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Avery Johnson, 5-6 for 46 yards, 7.7 yards per pass, the one touchdown, no interceptions. Most of those 46 yards came on his last drive in the game. Do you? Th- I know we've talked that Avery Johnson is an extremely confident, mature kid. Not doesn't play like a true freshman. Not a true freshman in terms of his personality off the field. Incredibly mature. But do you think there's some significance to him getting that touchdown pass at the end of the game? Dy just ending the game with a feel good moment. It's always better to feel a little bit better about yourself. Obviously, he's probably. He's even keeled, and it probably didn't have a whole lot of fluctuation there between before and after that touchdown, but human nature says there's at least a little bit. So I think that was a good thing to end on, even if it doesn't make it a drastic you know, impact, in my opinion, just from knowing Avery Johnson, the kid. Um, I do think, and I know some, and I and I, and I actually agree with this, you got to get Avery Johnson as many reps as possible to continue to, to get him you know, inundated with the offense and because you're going to need him, you're still going to need him the remainder of this year. But I thought they pulled him at the right time because it was a 41 to zero ball game and what he was going to be able to glean in a last drive or two against Houston was going to be, you know, not much because at that point, Houston didn't even have their first team defense. And I, I mean, at that point, DY, he's just going to be handing the ball off because I don't think any of us want him taking hits. You know, because no, they, they need him. Yeah, they need him. You don't want him getting hurt. And there's little, the, yeah, the risk reward there was not enough, um, especially with Houston not having their starters in the game. They made yeah. the right call in pulling him. And to me, that's just an acknowledgement by the coaching staff that they recognize, like, we, we don't want this guy taking any hits because we know we're going to need him the remaining four games plus postseason. 
Um, yeah. Right. Right. And so, I mean, what was interesting about Avery couldn't get the running game going in this one. I didn't have a ton of opportunities, but four carries, negative five yards, no, no real explosive plays for him in this game. And I, I think just shows like a reminder, he is a true freshman. There's going to be a little bit of ups and downs. So. And, and, and even when Will Howard was in the game too, right? Like in general, the run game was kind of taken away. 3.9 yards of carries, not overly impressive. I mean, Kansas State, 46 carries, 179 yards. They didn't get 200 yards, even though they had north of 40 carries. It goes to show you, though, Kansas State was efficient throwing the ball, 15 of 17. Avery Johnson, 5 of 6. Um, a combined over 200 yards between them, right? It goes to show you that teams, we, we talked about this, teams are going, to, are going to sell out. They're going to crowd the line of scrimmage. They're going to take away that running game that's what basically been averaging 250 to 260 yards a game for the better part of a month. Because of that, you are going to have explosives in the passing game available to you. Will Hour connected on the one with Phil Brooks. Is that what he, you saw Houston doing? Were they stacking the box? Because I was wondering about that. I mean, K-State, it, it was a bit of a surprise to me. I thought they were okay running it, but I think I would have expected north of five yards per carry the way they had men. No, three more yards of carry. I mean, so yeah. that is every Johnson um, cut a four carries, negative five yards didn't help. Jace Brown. The Jets weren't as open. Anthony Freya, six carries, 15 yards. I mean, DJ Giddens still did well. He had over seven yards to carry. So, did it. And, and then, so I guess you got to pick your spots. Some of it might, might be the the yardage outside of DJ Giddens, who's north of seven yards to carry. Trayshawn Ward, barely over three yards to carry. That's, that's probably what a Will Howard game is probably going to look like more than anything. You, yeah. I think. Yeah, DJ Giddens now over his last two games, 181 yards rushing on 22 carries, which is uh, 8.2 yards per rush. It's kind of interesting how Trayshawn had like a two-game stretch where he was averaging like 7.5 yards per carry, really had it going. And not that Trayshawn was bad against TCU by any means. He was very effective. Uh, but in this game, he couldn't really get much going on the ground. 10 carries for 32 yards and the one touchdown. So in uh, the longest run of the day, 14 yards by DJ Giddens, and then the second longest run by Treshawn Ward, or actually by Will Howard at uh, 11 yards. So didn't get a lot from the QB run game in this one, but they uh, they found a different way to win effectively I, by three I, yards. I, yeah, and I know some of it is because Ben Sennett didn't play a lot. Uh, like Chris Kleiman said, we were smart with him, so it doesn't make me concerned about him. But I'm counting here. There was 21 receptions in the game. Kansas State was 21 to 24, very efficient. Some of it was, a, there was, I think it was a garbage time reception from Jake Rubley, maybe a couple from Avery. Some of it's Ben Sennett not playing a ton, but 21 receptions to 11 different players. Phil, Phillip Brooks, yeah, five for 83. Phillip Brooks had a really, really nice game and made a, uh, a tough catch, a nice throw by Will, but a, a good hands, to, really strong hands to pull that one end downfield. Probably needed to get there a little sooner, but uh, still. Yeah, I, I guess I still. I know Keegan Johnson doesn't play in this game. I, oh, I'm still just not, not in uniform. I think he got banged up a, a, a good bit against TC. Hopefully, he's back for Texas. I just have a little bit of concern, DY, still that I mean, Garrett Oakley is second on the team with three catches for 36 yards. Your your third leading receiver is DJ Giddens at two for 25, and your third, and for then yeah. Well, yeah, I, in terms of catches, three for 15 for Treshawn Ward. Giddens has two for 25. Will Swanson, one for 21. So 
you have to go down the list to get to their second receiver behind Brooks. It's Jace Brown with two catches for 13 yards. I mean, is it sustainable? Like, are, are you, you got to get more from the wide receivers, right? I mean, it can't. Phillip Brooks has a great game, but I don't know. I guess I just have concerns. I have a little bit of concern, DY, that like you look at like air yards per pass, right? There were really only two throws that were maybe more than 10 yards in the air, 15 yards in the air. Avery had the one to Will Swanson near the end of the game that was probably over 10 yards in the air, but it was a lot of like check downs, shorter throws out in the yeah. flat. But but you're going to have Ben Sinnott do that. And I think you've look, it's not a dynamic receiving core, but if you can get at least one to kind of blow up per game, you probably feel because nobody was freaking out when Jace Brown was really ran away with four catches, 88 yards and a score. And Phil Brooks basically just did the same thing. So it it was the same thing as TCU. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, Garrett Oakley gets a little bit of things going in this one. I think yeah, uh, I mean, you got 12 personnel. Maybe that'll work in the future. I mean, DJ Giddens continues to be pretty. Both of your running backs are very good in the passing game. Both your tight ends are pretty good in the passing game. You're going to need a receiver or two, but you did. Jace Brown broke out last week. This week it was Philip Brooks. Look, it is what it is at that position, I think. You, maybe you'd like to see Jay Jackson pop a game here soon. But I, you, I, I think I'm out, and that, this is going to sound bad. I think I don't know that it's wise to have any real expectations for an R.J. Garcia or Keegan Johnson at this point. Well, I was going to I was going to ask you, do, any update on – Yeah. Well, I, no update. I just knew he wasn't going to play. I don't Yeah. Know. I just didn't know if Chris Kleiman was asked if uh, they thought it was just a one game type. No, he, I don't. That actually never came up. And this is going to sound bad. I just don't know if there's a big difference between can't stay with Keegan or without Keegan to make it really matter right now. The unfortunate reality, DY, is the fact that that wasn't asked is probably a sign because they've just gotten so little production from him this year, unfortunately, that it wasn't a topic. Yeah. And look, some of it's probably on him or on the quarterbacks. But man, when Jaden Jackson gets the ball in his hands, he runs as hard as anyone I've seen. So yeah. maybe just trying to get him the ball more so than just the jet screens. I mean, he's turned into a little Malik Knowles light though in those jet screens. He's good at them. I, I agree, DY. I would like to see them get Jaden Jackson involved on some simple short crossing routes where he can just get the ball and run. Or yeah, maybe that the, that, you know, requires probably really tight man coverage, which I don't know that's how they're playing him. Maybe maybe some bubble screens that they run to Phillip Brooks a lot on the outside, although I'm guessing they do that because maybe Jaden Jackson's one of their better blockers. Yeah, so they yeah. gave me... And then Jace Brown's, you know, yeah. Then you have your two tiny guys block. But I, but I do echo what you said. Jaden Jackson has been running so incredibly hard, and he plays so hard. Like, I, yeah. I have appreciation for him. I do, too. The pr- the problem that makes it tough right now, probably for him, is he's the, like the one receiver with a little bit of size left. I mean, Jace Brown's kind of small. Chase J- R.J. Garcia is pretty small. Phil Brooks, pretty small. they all have a lot of size in that group. Keegan Johnson was supposed to supply some of that length, and you know, obviously he's not been there exactly. And then one of your first guys off the bench is Seth Porter. Nothing against them, but another small guy. Well, we got to give a shout out to Seth Porter. Definitely. Uh, yeah, first touchdown catch of his career. He waited a long time for that. He's been around the program for six years. He's a leader. He's a captain. Uh, he's a special teams ace on this football team. And 
felt really great to finally get him that first touchdown. Avery Johnson connects with him for a seven-yard touchdown pass at the end of the game, and uh, it was you could see there was some emotion there. Really cool uh, discussion on ESPN about it, and his brother Shane Porter uh, kind of hiding the football to to make sure that Seth gets it. So an awesome moment. Uh, I know we communicate with Mark, their father, who also played at K-State, just a tremendous K-State family and uh, feel great about that. And actually we are, uh, we're gunning to have Seth on VY this week as part of our player spotlight on uh, three Moss. So we'll see if we're able to get Seth Porter on the pod. Want to hear from him because he is a, a special leader in that locker room for Kansas state. Hey, I wanted to, to pivot back to the defense real quick. VY. They've faced, obviously, a couple of backup quarterbacks over the last few weeks, and then Donovan Smith, who's not a backup quarterback by any means. But do you think they can sustain this defensively, or do you think it's more of a byproduct of the teams that they've been playing against? Like, they're going to get tested over the two of the next three games. I mentioned top 15 offenses, and they got Texas this week. I don't know if you had a chance to watch Texas at all against BYU, Malik Murphy at quarterback. They're going to face another backup, but... uh, is it sustainable? Can they can they keep this going, or is it partially a byproduct of the quarterbacks they play? I I think it's naive not to consider it partially a byproduct. Although Donovan Smith's good, but then again, you, you got Houston at the right time. I think as well, a um, couple games there at home. The Texas Tech second half performance might have been the most impressive, but you shut out you shut out a team or keep two consecutive teams out of the end zone in two consecutive weeks. You're doing something right. But the 1985 Bears wouldn't be able to sustain that. You know, like three points yeah. a game. So um, to this level, no. But maybe it's not the liability that it once was. Remember, the, the explosive play was killing us defense. Yeah. Any early thoughts on the Texas game this Saturday? Yeah, I'll coach them. That's, that, that comes to mind. Because like Philip Brooks went up and you know it's early in the game and won that one on one matchup like you said for the ball. DJ Giddens winning a lot of his one on one matchups in space. Avery Johnson has of course, but you're you just you're not going to be able to lean or hinge yourself on winning one on one matchups against the talent of Texas, at least offensively for Kansas State. So I think you got to out coach them to win. I think. That's probably when Texas loses, right? Because you know talent's never going to be the problem for them. They get sometimes they get outcoached or outplayed, you know, effort-wise. So you got to play harder than them, and you got to coach better than them, because the raw talent is the raw talent. I also think Dy, it's and we talked about this last year going into the Texas game. You have to be sharp in the first quarter, defensively especially, because Steve Sarkeesian is a good play caller. He scripts out that first 15, 20 plays. And what did they do against K-State last year? They went right down and scored their first couple possessions and that K-State was playing catch up the entirety of the game. So you got to be ready to go early. Now they have a freshman quarterback in Malik Murphy that is likely going to be playing. And he had around like 170 yards passing against BYU on Saturday, two touchdowns, I think. He had an atrocious interception. I mean, D.Y., there was nobody within 10 yards. Like, he's lucky it wasn't a pick six. The guy ran, I think, it all the way down like 15, but there was an illegal block in the back on the return. It was awful. Uh, he had, a, I think, maybe a fumble as well. So he, he's he got a big arm. He's not a runner. He's six foot five, 240 pounds. He was a talented recruit out of California. He, he can throw the football, but I think there's some mistakes. I mean, he's a freshman. So, redshirt freshman. 
Um, it'll be it'll be a matchup to watch. But I mean, you mentioned. I mean, I, I think the other big thing with this is Texas leads the Big Twelve in yards per carry allowed at three point two. You know, yeah. so you, you're going to have one of the best rushing offenses in America going up against one of the best rush defenses in the country. Yeah, and they're going to put you in one on one opportunities on the outside. I don't know if Kansas State's good enough to win though. So I. I you know, Colin Clyde will figure something out. He's one of the best offensive coordinators in the country for a reason. But I, they're going to have they're going to be a little mismatched on that side of the ball just because of the strengths and weaknesses just don't align necessarily in Kansas State's favor. The turnover thing is real. I think that's maybe how you can even this thing out a little bit as well. I will also say this: I know, and this is kind of from the naked eye, and I've seen Texas a few times this year. Uh, and, and maybe yards per carry will tell me that I'm a little bit of a dummy. But I think Texas is a now obviously less talented in the backfield than they were last year. They had B. John Robinson. And look, there might be something in the ointment because Texas always seems to run the ball so well against Kansas State, at least in this winning streak that they have going. But from a talent standpoint, Texas is a little down in the backfield, in my opinion, just a little bit. Now, Brooks is fine, but... Um, and, and a lot of teams would love to have them. But just from what we're used to seeing from Texas, in terms of raw talent, they're a little bit weaker at running back than they probably are most of their other positions. Yeah, I don't think anyone's as dynamic as uh, Bijan Robinson was. And I, I would argue like Roshan Johnson may be better. Jonathan Brooks is putting up really good numbers, but I think Roshan Johnson was probably a more complete back at this point in his career yeah, last year. Yeah, and I think Jonathan Brooks is probably also – on the better side of playing behind the best version of that Texas offensive line. I don't think Bijan and Roshan had this offensive line. Texas offensive line is very good. Yeah, they're they're good up front. And uh, last year when they came to Manhattan, they ran the ball for 270 yards on 40 carries and nearly yeah. 70 yards per carry. So you got to take away the run. I mean, that that to me is a key part. If you can, and we'll talk more in depth, obviously, this week on our pregame pod that'll drop probably around Thursday as usual. But you have to be able to take away the run and force Malik Murphy to drop back and pass the ball in obvious situations and maybe force him into a couple mistakes. Uh, you know, they they ran for over 300 against KU earlier this year, and uh, they've had games where they run the heck out of the football. But I do think, like, I don't, I don't think Jonathan Brooks, is, he's had some big runs, but I, he doesn't strike me as, like, as explosive. Yeah, and that five-star running back that they thought was going to be special in Baxter, Pedro Baxter, they're just no explosiveness. He's there. he's been he's been disappointing every time he comes in the game. It feels like it's a it's a yeah, letdown. There's Ohio State running backs like nothing gets them. Chip training them and and uh, Brian Williams. Like maybe it's just like my preference. But these plotting running backs anymore. I'm like, give me someone that can get a home run, right? And yeah. the, he reminds me of someone who's Ohio State back because Ohio State's had that problem, right? They haven't had an explosiveness in the backfield. That's why they need Travion Henderson. I think Texas needs a Fast, explosive running back. I don't know if they have one. Yeah. Well, they're good up front on both sides of the football defensive line, too. So, K-State's offensive line is going to face a test, but it is a it's a huge matchup. I mean, it's a it's a huge opportunity for K-State. Sep- separation Saturday, because you got this one, you got Bedlam as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's three great games in three different time slots Saturday for the Big 12. You've got... KU at Iowa State at 6 o'clock. You got Bedlam at 2.30, and you got K-State, Texas at 11 a.m. And so I think a lot you're, – you're right, separation Saturday, because a lot of things are where the direction of this league is headed will be decided on Saturday. Uh, you know, 
Oklahoma State, I'm now to the point where I would not be surprised at all if they beat Oklahoma. I doubt they, heck, they might be the better team, at least right now. Not really predicated on talent, but how the two are playing. For the listeners to kind of give them an idea of what this picture looks like, it might be important for you to say, like, what, aside from a Kansas State win, of course, and the other two games, what's the best outcome for K-State? I think the best outcome for K-State would be, and and you tell me if you disagree, obviously K-State wins. I think, so I actually think Oklahoma State winning and getting OU at second loss would be, now I have to look at all the tiebreakers, but Oklahoma State's got the head-to-head on K-State. I, I'd like getting OU that second loss. And then I think Iowa State winning would be, so this sounds weird, right? Because Iowa State's only got one league loss and K-State's, KU's got two. But KU's schedule at the back end, I think, is easier other than K-State. I mean, K-State's their last hard, hard game remaining on their schedule for KU after they get past Iowa State. So I think KU losing... Iowa State winning that game is better because K-State gets Iowa State and Manhattan. And I think K-State will win that game and be able to hand. And Iowa State's still got to play Texas in Ames as well. So uh, that that's the game I would go back and forth on. I think, actually, I mean, you tell me, what do you think is the best outcomes for K-State? Do you think it's Oklahoma State losing or winning? And then do you think KU or Iowa State? I almost think it's Oklahoma State losing uh, just because, like, if they beat Oklahoma, I don't know if they lose it. Like, well, that's a, so that's where I go with that. Dy is like, I don't think they lose again if they win, right? Yeah, yeah. But if if they lose, they still have the tie. If K State drops one more game, yeah, they have the tiebreaker. You're in trouble no matter what. You do see. I could still see a path at seven and two overall. Yeah, but then it gets into the complicated tiebreakers. And look, for me, it's you need the team to lose that probably has the easiest path, even in a tiebreaker scenario that you're outlining. Like you don't want Oklahoma state to just have one loss. I, I think you need to muddy it up even a little bit more than that. Oklahoma state, like they have to really screw up to lose again. Like if they were, I mean, after the after bedlam look in the Sooners, to be honest, like I think Oklahoma could still lose again. I don't know if Oklahoma state could, I don't know. Oklahoma's schedule sucks. So oh, easy. Oh, I know, but they just like in a game where if you look at the metrics and I saw, you know, the stats were put it out today, like, did you really lose this bad? You know, that graph that he always has. Like Oklahoma dominated KU and still lost. And the week before they 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 escaped UCF. I just don't know Oklahoma's disciplined enough to to remain on skate. Yeah. No, I don't uh I guess we'll see. In a, in a way, I think we're, we're still getting last year's Oklahoma. Yeah. Yep. Well, it'll be a fun Saturday, hopefully. Got the Patrick Gongbeck commitment, too, so we'll see what comes of that. And uh, then K-State basketball kicking off. We got K-State basketball exhibition against Emporia State on Wednesday night as well. How do, you, how do you think it would shape out? Like, do you think KU beats Iowa State? It's, what, a one-point spread? Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to, like... Which of these teams are kind of like pretenderish to you, and which ones are like okay, they're legit? Because Iowa State KU game is like it's interesting because you wouldn't expect either of those to be here, especially with the way the Jayhawks started to trend, and now they maybe they got it figured out. I just wor- I still worry about Jason Bean. Like, look, he's a fine quarterback. You look at the numbers, and they're not bad. But 
like everybody knows, if he tried to do it against Oklahoma, you know, late in the game, he's trying to find ways to lose every time. Yeah. Um, For two picks and still found a way to win. There's two bad picks at the end. Yeah, which, I mean, Brent Venables coached like a moron at the end of that game and Jeff Levy, like it was... You, you, like they they conservatively ran the ball to just burn KU's three timeouts as if two minutes wouldn't be plenty of time for KU to be able to go down and get a field goal at best to win the game. With in this era of college football, um, two minutes that's plenty of time, and and they couldn't get anything going on that last drive after that one interception to put the game away. So the game I don't know. Ends. The game is in Ames. It's a night kick to. I think Iowa State has some crazy record in night games and Ames. Going into last year, I remember the K State game, like that record was talked about. Like they they're great at night. Ten and Jack Trice. So won ten to nine in Ames at night last year. That gets really hard to handicap. Yeah. I I would probably give a slight lean to Iowa State because they're at home. But I think it's gonna be a great night. I will say like maybe I would pick that way too, just because like, I just don't trust Jason Bean in the most pivotal of moments, and you know that game is probably going to be close. So that's where I come out. Bedlam, whew. Sooners have dominated that series, just flat-out dominant. The games aren't even close most of the time. But those two teams couldn't be going in a different direction right now. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, it's going to be a separation Saturday and an anxiety Saturday. Well, maybe not anxiety once you get past your game. Well, yeah. Because like we said, we don't even know which outcomes are actually ideal. Yeah, no. K-State wins, you know, I'll just kick back and enjoy college football and either outcome for both could could work out um, in a beneficial way for K-State. So, it's hey, look, shout out to KU for the win over OU and uh, let's do everything I can to keep OU and Texas out of the league title. That's kind of where I'm at with like Oklahoma State beating OU D wise. You get them a second loss in case they could be Texas. Like it could, yeah. it could be hard for those two to get into the league title. And as much as I talk, you know, shit on KU, I'll say this: where where Lance Leipold has taken them from where they were in in a pretty short amount of time, it's just night and day. So, you know, we can say that, man, we're not sure they're they're here yet, right? Because I'm still kind of there, but boy, just being here is remarkable. And I don't know that there's many other coaches that could have done what he's done yeah no he's uh he's done an incredible job and um i mean it was even more impressive because like that the atmosphere i mean it looked good at kick but the half that stadium was gone after an hour delay i i I can't believe that that's that's a bad look that you don't stick around in a little bit of rain against a top 10 team when you're winning so I, i could not believe how much that crowd dissipated in a huge game for KU, but you know, that's a heck of a win for that program. So, yeah, and uh, let's keep OU and Texas out of the league title. So, sounds great. Hey, that's on the table now. A couple of weeks ago, that didn't look realistic at all. Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, we will talk more in depth uh, later this week about the Texas game and this weekend when we get John Kurtz back. And we do our traditional pregame show. So looking forward to it. Appreciate all of you. Appreciate DY for jumping on once again. And appreciate Nick Springer behind the scenes for producing the pod. We'll also get a pod out for Curry Sexton this week. And I mentioned we hope to have a player spotlight pod with Seth Porter this week as well. So appreciate all of you listening to 3Maw. And uh, as always, subscribe, like, rate us, uh, leave a comment on YouTube if you wish. 
Uh, we appreciate your support. We appreciate the support of Holiday Distillery and 360 Vodka. Go get your Ben Holiday bottled in Bond Bourbon and your, your 360 Vodka as you stock up for the rest of the season and appreciate our friends at Home Field Apparel. Thank you for listening to another episode of Three Mom. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard. You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.